I want to begin with a story this morning. Uh, it has absolutely nothing to do uh, with the message. Just thought I'd mention that. I was a little short on time this week, needing some stuff to fill in the gap. Not really. That, that part is not true. But I just love the story, and I laughed. And surely I will not hang on to a story unless it makes me laugh out loud. And when this was sent to me recently, I definitely did this. The year is 2024, and the United States has just elected the first woman as president of the United States, and she is from Georgia. <laughs> a few days after the election, the president-elect <clears throat> calls her father in Macon, Georgia, and asks, So, Dad? I assume you will be coming to my inauguration. I don't think so, honey. It's a long drive. Your mom isn't as young as she used to be. We'll have the dog with us, and my arthritis is acting up in my knee. Well, don't worry about it, Dad. I'll send Air Force One to pick you up and take you home, and a limousine will pick you up at your front door, she said. I don't know, honey. Everybody would be so fancy. What in the world would your mother wear? Oh, Dad, she replied, I'll make sure she has a wonderful gown custom made by one of the best designers in all of New York. Honey, Dad complained, you know we can't eat those nice, extravagant, rich foods you and your friends like to eat. The president-elect responded, don't worry, Dad. The entire affair is going to be handled by one of the best caterers in all of D.C., and I will assure that your meals are salt-free. So her parents reluctantly agreed, and on January the 20th, 2024, arrived to see their daughter sworn in as president of the United States. The parents of the new president are seated in the front row. The president's dad sees that a senator is sitting right next to him and leans over and whispers, you see that woman up there with her hand on the Bible, the one becoming president of the United States? The senator whispered, yes, sir, I sure do. Dad says proudly then, I want you to know her brother played football for the University of Georgia. has nothing to do with the message, nothing. <laughs> today, we're beginning a brand new message series, and I'm glad that all of you are here. And we started today, and we'll go for the next three Sundays. And I want to encourage you, unless you're in the hospital, right, which I hope you're not, or on vacation, um, you're out of town, please be here. What we're going to be talking about is so incredibly important. Everybody's looking for satisfaction. Everybody is looking for meaning in life. All of us are. And what we're going to be looking at is so important. In fact, bring some people with you. If you've, got a, if you've got a friend you've been thinking about inviting to church, this would be a great time for you to invite them. If you've got a family member you've been praying for, this would be a great time for you to bring them uh, with you. In fact, I'll go ahead and give you a preview for next Sunday. You're going to want to be here. Uh, Solomon, we're going to be talking about him, obviously. You can't talk about Ecclesiastes, which we're going to be doing, talking about satisfaction, uh, because Solomon is the central figure of the whole story. And uh, next week, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about the seasons of life. See, all of us are in a particular season of life. You go from your birth date to your death date, and you migrate through certain seasons. And uh, so we're going to really kind of identify what season we may be in next week when we come back together. And be quite honest with you, before we're done, there may be seasons that you are in or a season that you're in individually, seasons plural, a season that you're in that is just time to move on from that season 
to the next season of your life. We're going to talk about it, and it's going to be very, very important. So we're reaching back, obviously, to the Old Testament, going to be gripped by many of the statements and sayings from Solomon, the smartest guy who ever lived except for Jesus, but Jesus has, we know, like a divine advantage on everybody. So uh, you know that when I mention a highly intellectual guy, that Solomon is that guy. And as we wade into the book of Ecclesiastes, scores of you are actually going to be shot. I'm going to read some things this morning. You're going to say, really? That's in the Bible? I've never seen that. I don't even understand why it's in the Bible. Why would God even put that? Make sure that that would be in his word. And I'll tell you why toward the end of this talk. So you're going to be shot by Solomon, some, uh, some of the transparency that he has. Really, uh, at times, his periodic negativity. And almost, it seems like on occasion, he's like irreverent. And so this is probably a book in the Bible that most of you have not spent a lot of time in. And we're going to do that today and the next three Sundays. And we're going to journey through Solomon's story. And we're going to discover, it's where this whole idea that we're talking about, finding satisfaction, is where this whole idea comes. He's he's looking for satisfaction. He's wanting to possess meaning and significance in his life. So right here on the front edge of today's talk and this series, I want to encourage you to buckle up. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you right now that as we work our way through this, the scenery is not always going to be charming. It's not always going to be delightful to look at. And you'll see this right at the beginning. This is how he starts his book. This is like the second verse in the whole book. And the guys are going to put it up here on the screen. Look at it. This is what he says. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Solomon's the teacher. That's the teacher saying now meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, how many of you know this is already going to be an exciting book? <laughs> you just say meaningless. It's all meaningless. Well, you know, it's just a waste of time. It's chasing the wind. And, and you're like, oh my goodness, do I really want to be here for the entire series? And fortunately, we're not going to camp out here. And and uh, that's just the way it gets started. I mean, uh, you see that verse. I think it's still up there on the screen. You look at that. And if you said, um, you know, I came here today for some great encouragement, that's not the verse that's going to leave you feeling really encouraged. In fact, I didn't notice anybody like getting it down. Sometimes I see with your phone, you take a picture of the screen because there's a verse that you want to hold on to. I didn't see any flashes uh, during that time. I don't imagine anybody is going to make this their life verse from this point forward, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So that's how he starts out. But keep in mind that Solomon is on this quest to find satisfaction in life. He wants to find some real meaning. So he continues on, and this is just sort of the, the talk that gets us into the depth of the series. And so we're just dealing with the first, um, you know, f- first few sections of this book. So as he moves from that verse that we just saw, he continues a couple of verses later, and uh, this is what he's saying to his readers. He is saying, here's what I want you to do. Now, on the heels of what we just saw from verse 2, he follows that up by saying something essentially like this, why don't you stand still long enough to get a snapshot of the uh, the sun when it is out, the moon, the stars, just take it all in. Just stand there. Don't look at the sun. You know, you can't do that. You can look at the moon. But look at the stars, uh, take in the sights of like rivers and mountains and oceans, places and things that we like to see. And then he says this, look at this next verse on the screen. Look at what he says. He says, generations come, 
generations go, but the earth lasts forever. He's a real encourager. Have you noticed this about Solomon? Do you know what he's essentially saying right here? And I'll just put it in like a modern context so that we get what he's trying to say. In other words, essentially, this is what he's saying. Next time you're outside and you happen to be mowing your lawn, take a good look at it while you're mowing it and remind yourself that your yard is going to outlive you. That's basically what he's saying. Yesterday after work, actually in the morning, I was uh, doing some more work on next Sunday's talk a week from today. And then I got through with all that work and some other things I needed to do church-related, work-related. And I went home and I spent, uh, once I got home, changed, uh, changed clothes uh, for about the next four and a half hours uh, I spent in the yard trimming hedges, cranked up the pressure washer and just spent, you know, from uh, till about dark. Just, just, and then, you know, even knowing that this verse, you know, and it's like, well, I'm working, you can't help it knowing what you're going to be talking about the next day. I'm doing all this work in the yard. I'm doing all, and you know what, this yard that I'm trying to take care of this yard that, I mean, it's actually going to outlive me. Generations come, he says, generations go, but the earth lasts forever. So he's saying, you know what? You're going to get in your 70 years or so, maybe more, hopefully more, maybe 80, maybe 90, maybe something north of that. And if you want to find satisfaction before you die, you need to start looking in the right places now. You need to start looking. You need to get on the right path now. And again, in this overview talk, then Solomon gives us an insider's view as to what his own personal exploration paths have looked like. And he says, you know, he wants to let out. Hey, if you're looking for satisfaction, if you want meaning, significance in life, he said, you know, for me, I, I had the money, I had the resources, I had everything that I, I could go down any path. And you're going to see this. He went down a lot of paths. He said, you can go down any path you want to. And then he starts, before we get too deeply in this book, we're going to be in during this series, he starts giving us some snapshots into some of these paths that he sampled. And I'll just head on, on a few of them uh, for us here this morning. Uh, one of the paths that Solomon mentioned that he tried, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, I tried the, we'll call it the educational or the learning path. You know, I had this inner emptiness in my life. And so I just determined that uh, maybe the path that will satisfy me would be if I get more learning. Uh, Ecclesiastes, still chapter one. I want everybody to look up here on the screen at what he says in verse 17. He said, so I decided to find out about wisdom and knowledge. He's going to increase his learning. I decided to find out about wisdom and knowledge and also about foolish thinking. But this turned out to be, and this is a common phrase that he often has, this turned out to be like chasing the wind. You know, I, I got on the learning path. I wanted to increase my knowledge because certainly that would satisfy me. That would bring meaning to my life. And so I went down that path. I went a long way down that path, but I came to the realization that that didn't satisfy me. It was like chasing the wind. Now, I understand that when I make a statement like that straight out of the Bible, I know what some of you are thinking, especially uh, students. You're, you're thinking, all right, mom and dad, in fact, you maybe whispered to them or you're forming in your thought already hey, I know you're wanting me to continue my education, but the Bible says it's chasing the wind. Nice try. 
that is not going to work. That's not what Solomon's saying. In fact, I want to go on record as saying this. Stay in school. Stay in school. Get as much education as you possibly can. Stay in school. Increase your education. Increase your learning. Increase your knowledge. But at the end of the day, still, Solomon would say, just realize, this is what he's warning if you have this huge void that is in your life and you're looking for satisfaction, then another degree and some additional letters behind your name is not going to be the magic bullet. In other words, if you get on the academia path and you're thinking that's going to bring real satisfaction to your life and that's all that there is and that's going to answer all your questions, fill all the empty holes in your life, he's, you know, uh, we ought to do that. We ought to go after education. But he's just saying that's not going to be the thing that is ultimately going to satisfy you. In fact, when you skip down uh, just a little bit further and, and you read what he says next, I've just got to tell you, and, and um, you know, when I think about this, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, if there were a lot of people on the graduation ceremony circuit, Solomon would have never been invited to any of these. He just wouldn't. Look at verse 18. Look at what he says. He says, the wiser you are, the more worries you have. The more you know, the more it hurts. How many of you know that is not going to get you an invitation to a graduation ceremony to speak? It just will not. Should you stay in school, you better believe it. If you graduated from high school, go after your education. You grad, and you say, well, I, you know, I've got my undergraduate degree. Do I go? Yeah, you get all the education you can. But fundamentally, you've got to understand, if you're thinking that that is going to satisfy you, the deep, deepest parts of your life, the holes, the, the gaps, the void in your life, it's not going to happen through academia. Well, Solomon has another path that he tells us he pursues to hopefully find some satisfaction in life. So next he tries the, and we'll just call this one the pleasure path, the pleasure path. And it looked like this. Now we're into chapter two. Look at the A part of verse three. He said, I tried cheering myself with wine. So I thought, you know, th that, that will do it. You know, I tried the academia path and, you know, I'm thankful for knowledge learning, you know, but the reality is that didn't satisfy me. So I think I'll just take another path. I'll just go the pleasure path. I think what I will do is I'll just drink myself into a place of happiness and meaning in life. That's what I'll do. And I've just got to tell you, even when we read that, you and I know we're smart enough to understand. Smart, Solomon was a smart guy. He made some poor choices early on in his life, but he's a really smart guy. And I think all of us know that that, that, never, seems, that never seems to work. Right now in our own family, another city here in the state of Florida, I've got a family member right now that I'm very, very close to. It's like breaking every one of our hearts person who just a few years ago, top of his game, smart, successful, making lots of money, personality, a success, every, everything that you could imagine. And then he just started pursuing the pleasure path a little bit. And today he's just wrecking so much of his life. Right now, this guy who previously was so happy and so successful and so extroverted and funny and all of these things, he's now, it's, he's just, honestly, he's at a, at a point where, where he's trying to drink some happiness into his life. He's not getting any more happy. In fact, all of us who know him and love him, 
realizing it's only what he's doing to himself and his addiction that is totally out of control. It's not making him any more happy. It's actually making him more and more miserable and the people who are closest to him. So here's a question for us out of the pleasure path that Solomon said I chose to take. And, you know, again, we want this to sort of resonate with real life all these hundreds of years later. And so I posed it in the form of a question. And uh, you don't have to call out loud, but just think about it. You know, he said, this is what I did. This is the next path I took. So here's my question. How much alcohol does it take to fill the void and emptiness that resides in a person's heart? Let me say it again. How much do you really have to drink? How much alcohol does it take to fill the void and the emptiness that resides in a person's heart? And I think you know the answer. The answer is there is not enough, not enough alcohol in all the world to achieve that. And so some of you, it's like, you know what? And this person who I just mentioned to you, I'm very close to a family member of mine, says, you know what I find myself doing? Because we've had a, a million conversations. He said, he said, Jeff, I, I get down, I get depressed, I get worried. And so I just, I just go on a bench like you can't believe because I want to forget about all my problems. And we've had this conversation so many times. And I've called his name and I said, and I love him. And I said, but here's the problem. When you come back off of that binge, your problems have not disappeared. They've only gotten much, much worse. So Solomon said, you know what? I, I went the, the learning knowledge path and I thought that maybe that would satisfy me. And I went the pleasure path and I've, I carried that way down that road and you know, that didn't satisfy me. It didn't bring real meaning in my life. And so next he undertakes what we might would call, we'll just call it this, the material acquisition path. And I want you to check this out. I want you to see this unbelievable amount of uh, influence and affluence that Solomon actually has. Look at this. You're going to be shocked by this. He said, I also tried, you know, in addition to everything I'd been doing, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards, I made gardens and parts, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. Look at this next portion. It's really coming up. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings, the equivalency of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. Now, that's not a typo. Some of you said porcupines, no concubines. That's it's like women. He said, I had every, look at that. I had everything that a man could desire. I had it all. Because, and you've got to see this, friends. All of you have got to see it on this intro talk of this series. Because Solomon had such an extravagant sum of financial resources, nothing, nothing, nothing was off the table. Nothing was beyond his reach as it relates to pleasure. And so he gives us some insight of his material acquisition path. Because, you know, uh, this didn't satisfy me. This didn't bring meaning into my life. So here, I'm finally going to get satisfied. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to take some of 
have what I have, and I'm going to build huge homes, plural, not a huge home, plural. He said, you know, I'm, I'm going to have the, you know, the plush everyday home. I'm going to have the mountain home. I'm going to have the beach house. I'm going to have this house. I'm going to, and he built not just, you know, it wasn't just a little cabin. In the, he said, I am going to build these palatial places. I'm going to build a lot of them, and surely that will make me happen. And then where all of them are, I'm going to have vineyards. Here's his language. I'm going to have vineyards. I'm going to have gardens. I'm going to have parks. I'm going to build all these things, and Solomon did all of that. It's going to be fruit trees everywhere. And, you know, I think about that, and I, as I mentioned to you, I'm just trying to get my yard looking decent, and he's got all this going on. And then he says, and then I went out and, and I bought slaves, both men and women. And in those days, what, what it would be talking about in context would be uh, like house staff, personnel, because I had all these homes and I had all these gardens and I had all these parts. And so I needed people to take care of these things. So I went out and got them. In addition to that, I had large herds and flocks, and that's like visible wealth and anybody could see you could just drive by and see all that he had and say man this guy really really has a lot of stuff a lot of affluence a lot of success he said i have great sums of gold and silver a net worth that had no ceiling whatsoever he said this next portion is interesting to me he said i hired wonderful singers now how many of you like going to concerts how many of you like to and you sort of say back how many of you know that concerts are not as cheap as they used to be I grew up, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia. In those days, Omni Hotel hosted the biggest concerts there was at the time. Please don't ask me to name the bands after the service because I, I won't do that. That's a secret. And so, you know, growing up as a teenager, and so I just saved whatever money I could to get a concert ticket. And there's great bands today. And, you know, and, and we save our money and we go to concerts. You know what Solomon said? This is how much wealth he had. He said, I'll just buy the band. I'm not going to a concert. I'll just buy the band, and they're going to be at my disposal. So anytime I want to hear great music, anytime I want to have a concert, hey, I'll just, I own them. They'll do a personal concert for me and anybody that I, I invite. He said, so I had that. He said, I had many concubines. I had many beautiful women. Now, I mentioned, plural again, many women all at one time. And so what I'm saying to you is Solomon was intellectual, but he wasn't smart in every area. And so like, he's like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to keep all the credit card statements straight. And she's got two and she's got one, she's got three. And, you know, I've got to keep everybody happy equally. And so he said, and the point is uh, to validate that there was no lid whatsoever on his quest for escalating pleasure and acquisition. He tosses in this comment, look at it still in, in chapter two, he said, I became, look at this verse. He said, I became very famous, even greater than anyone who had lived in Jerusalem before me. So look at Solomon's life. And again, he's on this quest for satisfaction and meaning and purpose with his life, significance. And so he just sort of does a compilation of his life, sort of tolls us up, looks at it, and, and we just sort of weigh in. And we said, well, you know, Solomon had it all. He had outrageous amounts of fame, he had incredible real estate. He had money to spend without ever vanishing. I read recently, he's an ex-Georgia Bulldog player, so I was interested. He just signed a, a new contract. You're going to feel sorry for him. You really are. He just signed a five-year, $60 million deal. 
over five years, do the math, and a $45 million guarantee. So if he gets hurt and career ender, uh, they still have to hand him a check for 40. Listen, I, I know it's 20,018, but how many of you know that's still a lot of money? And how many of you know it'd be hard to spend $45 million? Wave at me. Wave. Be hard to spend. But let's be honest. How many of you'd like to try? All right. You'd like, yeah, like to try. So he said, I became very famous. So I've got all this real estate money to spend. I'll never get to the end of it. I've got my own personal musical group. I've got gorgeous women, got lots of them. And so in case you're still wondering, if you could ever have enough cash flow to keep, keep up with Solomon, to live at his level, he dashes all of that to the ground. In the very next verse, this is verse 10. Look at the A part of this verse. Look at what he says. He said, anything, everybody say that with me, anything, anything I saw and wanted, I got for myself, I did not miss any pleasure I desired. I didn't miss out on any of it. If I saw it and I didn't have it, I got it. Yeah, I'll take that house. I'll take that car. I'll take that boat, that trip, that ring, that watch, that outfit, that meal. Yeah, I'll have that pair of shoes. I'll have that woman. Uh, surely, uh, you know, as he looked at his life, you would have thought, I had all of this, and surely we would think that this would bring him some measure of satisfaction. Surely with every, I mean, just think about everything that was at his fingertips. Surely that would fill the empty holes that were in his heart, but it didn't. In fact, not only did, did it not, it didn't even come close, but what it did do, and I think this is the good that starts coming out of it, it did throw him into total contemplation mode. And then he concluded that every path he had taken had been, listen now, this is really important, really important a complete bust. He tried it all. He, he had the resources, friends, and I, I've, got a, I've got a lot of friends that have a lot of money and people who have resources that I could never imagine. And um, I'll come to that in just a moment because I don't want you to walk away with a misunderstanding and you leave today and say, okay, are you trying to say uh, that the Bible is anti-pleasure, anti-wealth, anti, you know, and I'm not saying any. I, I, this is what I am saying. God wants to bless us with good things. I really believe that. And we're not all going to have the same amount of stuff. But some of the wealthiest people I know are some of the best people I know and some of the most generous people. So don't get confused. Don't walk out of here and say, is he trying to say to us in the Bible that, that the Bible is anti-pleasure? Not at all. Is the Bible anti-wealth? Not at all. Is the Bible, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that Solomon is pointing out, and it is so true, that if we think things are going to bring us significance and meaning in life and satisfaction, things will never do it. And so Solomon is in contemplation mode. And then verse 11, next verse, take a look at this one. He says, then I thought, again, he's considering all these things. Then I thought about all that I'd done, all these paths that you and I have been talking about, and there were more, and how hard I had worked doing it. Let me do a time out here because I, 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 I'm not going to have a chance to read the verses. He reaches a point where he talks about, you know, you, you build, you know, you build your, your portfolio, you build your business, you build your assets, you build all these things. And then he later says, again, this whole contemplation, he said, and then you die and then you leave it and somebody comes along and they wreck it. 
and they just spend it, and you've done all this work to try to build, 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 grow, 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 make it happen, and then you leave it in the hands of foolish people. He talked about that, and he's like, oh, I can't even, he's like, I can't even keep going there. He said, I had work doing it, and he said, look at this, it's really important, back to this phrase, and I realized that it didn't mean a thing. It was like chasing the wind of no use at all. Now, I, I don't know if you're like me in this regard. I've read Ecclesiastes many, many times before, and maybe you're wondering what I've wondered before, all right? So here it is. I'll just, because some of you are thinking it, and so I'll just go ahead and say it. Why would God put all this in the Bible? I mean, why? I mean, uh, he starts out, you saw it, meaningless, meaningless. That's the guy you want to invite over to, for dinner. <laughs> Everything is meaning, chasing the wind. Uh, I mean, and... Why would God put that in the Bible? And I want you to be very, very clear. Why does he, I believe this with all of my heart. Because God does not want you and I to waste years of our life pursuing paths that are going to dead end into frustration and futility. Let me say that again. It's like God saying, hey, learn from this smart guy who early on wasn't very smart. That don't spend year after year after year of your life chasing the wrong dreams going down the wrong paths, pursuing the wrong goals. Don't waste years of your life pursuing paths that are going to dead into frustration and futility because this is what God knows like nobody else. God knows that satisfaction and fulfillment will never be found simply by learning more or by acquiring more or through experiencing more. He wants us to learn from a really smart guy who early on, again, made some poor choices in an effort to just try to fill the void and the emptiness of his life, he wants us to understand that there's other wise decisions and choices that we should make. And again, the Bible mentioned this a moment ago. We don't get through all this and say, okay, the Bible's anti-wealth, not at all. Anti-fun, anti-pleasure, not at all. God gives us good things to enjoy, but things really, this is the point that we need to understand, but things can never satisfy the empty places that are inside of us. Think about it this way as we get ready to close this intro talk. You don't want to miss. I'm just telling you, next week, and you'll be able to listen. You'll be able to say, hey, I think I'm in this season of my life. What am I learning? What is God trying to teach me? When do I move on? Do I move on now? So you're going to want to be here for that. But I want to wrap up in this regard. There's coming a day, and I hate to point this out, but we need to state the obvious. There's coming a day when all of us are going to lay out on our deathbed. We don't look forward to that, but it's reality. One day that's going to happen. And I just want all of us to consider this before we pray. The things that we will ask for and the things that we will want. All right. I'll tell you, first of all, the things we will not ask for. When you are laying on your, on your deathbed, I would almost bet this 99.9%, you're not going to see, say to the people that are gathered around you, hey, can you run to the house? Can you go to the attic? Can you go into storage? I, I'm about to die. Will you bring me my trophy? Just set it up here beside the bed. I just want to stare at it. I know I don't have long, and I just really, you know, I'd like to stare at my trophy. You will not ask for that. I will not ask for that. You'll not say, hey, my car, you know, I'm about to go. I'm about to meet my maker, and, you know, I've I just take it through the car wash, have it detailed, whatever, park it right outside of the window so I can just lean up and peek at my car because I've got to do that. I'm about to go and I just really want to look at my car. 
Hey, could you do me? Just go by the bank. You know, you won't be able to get it off at the ATM because there's a limit. Just go in and take the duffel bag and don't empty it out, but just get enough cash so I can unzip the duffel bag before I die and lean in and smell all that cash. You're not going to do that. You're not going to say, hey, go to the house and in this file, get the last get the last statement of my retirement fund, the last quarterly statement, get that, bring it up, and I just want to see how much money I'm leaving to everybody. You're not going to do that. You're not going to ask for your annual Disney pass, your favorite golf club, or fishing rod. At the end of your life, only two things are going to really matter. Are you right with God? And are you right with your family? That's what you're going to ask for. You're going to be laying on that deathbed, not thinking about stuff. Stuff is all right as long as it has its proper place. But you're not going to be asking for your stuff to be wheeled into you. You're going to want to look up and see the faces of your family gathered around your bed. As a pastor, I've been with people in their dying moments many, many times. It just comes with a job. I've been there. I've been there when people have taken that last big breath and they're gone. And they're never asking for their stuff to be wheeled into them. They're looking around at their family. They're saying final words to their family. They're being loved by their family. That's what matters. Are you right with your family? And are you right with the God that you're about to meet? That's what's going to matter. Will you stand for a closing prayer? Maybe you've got a little, little work to do after the service today. Maybe there's some, uh, maybe there's some family members that you need to get some, some things right with. Maybe a call needs to be made. Maybe a reconciliation that needs to happen. Maybe there's something you need to get straightened out with God. And uh, you had that point in your life where you said, hey, I've been chasing a lot of stuff. You know, I'm American dream man. I just go after it. And you've just been so busy that you've been too busy for God. That's a huge mistake. You want to be ready to meet your maker because you never know actually when that day may come. And so if you're here today and you just say, man, wow, old Solomon, that wise old bird, he gave me a lot to think about today. I need to be sure that I'm chasing the right dreams. I'm on the right path because I need satisfaction and meaning in life. And I want to know that I'm right with my family. And I want to know that I'm right with God. Would you bow your heads? If you're here today and you're not right with God, you can do that right here, right now. Earlier we took communion to remember what Jesus did for us. And maybe you just want to say, Hey, I've, I've been running from God. I've just been doing my own thing. I've just thought at some point in the future that God was on my schedule somewhere, but not now in my life. I'd get around to God. Well, today's the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means we say to God, I'm, I'm sorry, I've sinned. Will you forgive me? And God says yes. God I've tried to do it my way. I've been in the driver's seat of my life, and I'm screwing some things up, and 
I want you to be in the driver's seat of my life. Will you do that? And God would say, yes. And so just invite him even now. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm chasing a lot of things right now, but I want real satisfaction. I want real meaning. And whatever I've got to get sorted out with my family, whatever I've got to get sorted out with you, God, I'm willing to do because that is really at the end of the day and at the end of my life what matters most. I commit myself to do that. You just tell God that. I commit myself to getting all that straightened out in Jesus' name. Everybody said, I love you, everybody. Good to see you. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.